Paul, I would regret it if I didn't get some of these yeah, these questions that my Protestant <laughs> friends have sent in. Like, you got to ask him this. So, first question, why are you not an Orthodox Christian? <laughs> A couple more. Yeah. Tell me about purgatory. The Pope. The abuses in the Catholic Church. Praying to saints, praying to Mary. Man, I could talk hours about all this stuff. Yeah, 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 I can tell. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> But my celibatary life is the first thing. It's a very intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. I haven't given up my life to an idea. I've given my life to a person. Yeah. And that person is Jesus Christ. Because that's the thing I was going to lean into is I, I could totally see how, especially here in the Netherlands, people would would have such a strong reaction to that. Because on on one side, it's it's just maybe crazy. It's like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, you're going to restrict your, you're going to, you're going to uh, settle your whole future. Like you were saying at 16, you're going to make this decision that kind of clamps down your whole future. Um, what if something comes up? So they might say it's crazy, but I could also see, and I think this is a growing sentiment. It's not just crazy. It's dangerous. And uh, like a secular um, viewpoint is when you restrict your body to that degree where you have these natural feelings of desire to be with someone else, desire for women, desire for sex. Um, these are all natural things. And your repression, when you push those things down, yeah. this is maybe from, from that perspective, but you create um, desires that try to find hidden outlets. Yeah. And so then I wonder if uh, someone who is like a, a seeing from a secular point of view and they look into the Catholic Church and they say, wow, look at all these priests – yeah. who have abused boys yeah. because they're celibate, and so yeah. they're not able to get what they need here. That's a very good one. But it I, turns yeah. into this, um, this abuse thing. I can, I can answer to, to, that, to that question in a very clear way. Yeah. Um, now, let's begin at the end, okay? Just to, to, to have people who have a clear perspective. Uh, so the thing of the abuses in the Catholic Church is something dramatic. It's one of the... It's one of the biggest sins and crisis in the Catholic Church in all its history. Hmm. I mean, that is completely clear. Hmm. Uh, and even one priest would be have enough for all that crisis. Hmm. So I, just as a, so just as a, as a, as a clarifying that it's dramatic. Right. Okay? Having said that, big deal. that if you look to the percentage, person, percentage, percentage, yeah. percentage of the priests themselves, and of the relation of celibatary people committing child abuse huh. in the complete statistics, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. Right. So making the link between celibatary life and child abuse in a lot of, in a lot of senses is just not, not true. Right. So having said that, some people shouldn't have become priests. Definitely. But mm. the thing I'm saying is, the overwhelming amount of people committing child abuse in society is people who have sex on a regular basis, who are married, who, who, who or not married, but have sexual relationships, mm. are not celibatary. Mm. So that is that is something, in, in, to just put that aspect in perspective. Right. It is true that you can oppress your body, but the whole thing is, and then I come to the second point, I step out of the child abuse mm. thing, because it's very good that you say it, but I just want to clarify this, because... The whole discussion 
about celebratory life in the Catholic Church because of child abuse. Mm. I understand it because from an emotional point of view of what happened, yeah. this is horrible. Yeah. But if you if you just look to the numbers, if you just look at it in perspective, it doesn't make sense. Yep. Okay, so so that I mean I, I can go to the other points, or I don't know if you want to say something. Well, like I just a little thought on in my head is I could see someone conceding that point. Like I get it. Like this total statistics, so it's it's maybe um it, it's easy to make a big deal about it because um when the thing when it does happen, it's a very revolting thing. Yeah. And especially, I think, for people who have been hurt by the Christian church um, and who are listening or who have never even stepped into a church, I think what they can see is religious power, somebody who, who's like, yeah, a man who is supposed to have this caretaker role, who is taking this view on his own life of not having, and then, and then access to um, his church, but then it's also the boys that help serve and whatever. But I, I think what they would say is, sure, it's statistically small, but the whole way of looking at the body and life creates it as a more likely area for this kind of abuse to happen. Yeah, but then I come to also some other points. Yeah. Let me give you some examples. People who are more promiscuous, who have more on a regular basis sexual relationships, especially also linked to porn, are people who are more dangerous from a sexual point of view. Hmm. That is, that is, that is true. And well, but then they, I, I would, I don't know the statistics on this, but I think they could, there also might be a correlation to porn use within. Definitely. I know Definitely. for pa- pastors in Protestant churches, it's, I mean, I think men in general, but pastors as well, it's, it's quite high. And actually, I mean, for, it's quite high all over the world. Yeah. But the whole thing is, that's the, the porn problem is a really big problem. Also because porn, there is, there are studies. There is not clear the link between between violence and porn, uh, but what is clear is uh, is that there could be really some some links even because it, well I mean that's also for my job I, I I went quite into depth into the damages of porn right also your brain and your body not only from a moral point of view yeah and thank God now because there there are studies even from MIT from Cambridge from big universities that are showing that they even have addictive. Yeah. parts and yeah. this was really a mess of society man mm. I mean saying this whole sexual liberation thing that was just bullshit mm. that it's like fine and there's no big deal liberate do have sex whenever you want watch porn masturbate right. yourself and, and what happened is that, that what happened is that a lot of people get depressed because yeah. there is not a healthy relationship with your own body and because sexuality is is is, is just uh, how you say it they just it's just considered as, as something of a bodily pleasure yeah. that you can just deal with however you want and the whole thing and then is when I come to to one of the first points also about myself sexuality has to be linked really with love sexuality is a, it's a language of love hmm. and sexuality is there to fulfill love needs hmm. and the thing and this is very necessary and it's something beautiful and holy sexuality hmm. is not something to deal lightly with hmm. And that is also why Christianity says sexuality is something uh, for two persons who unconditionally want to love each other for always, who are open uh, to, 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 to bear fruits, uh, bear new life with it. Yeah. It's something very serious. C- Christian churches, well, I will speak, I, I know that a lot of Protestants say, think the same, but I will talk uh, for Catholics because right. of what I know, you right. know. The Catholic Church, it's not that sexuality is considered like something sinful or something, oh, we also have... 
No, it's the mm. other way around. Sexuality is something holy. Mm. It's something, it's one of the purest languages of love. And it's even a reflection, that is something that Pope John Paul II said, it's even a reflection of the love of the Holy Trinity. Mm. Having sex, I mm. mean, how holy can you make it, you know? Mm. So the thing is, we have to be, we have to prepare pe- yourself and others. I would say prepare, it's like, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, man. You can pray with your body. You can pray with sex. Hmm. But you can also make it something very profane. You can make it frivolous. You can make it hmm. something of pure lust, you know? Very self-centered. So, and that's very self-centered. So, when it could be a completely act of self-giving to another person. Hmm. Unconditional self-giving where you merge two bodies and two spirits together. Where passion, uh, pleasure... And, and spiritual joy can come together. Man, that is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Coming to my situation. Yeah. So the thing is, I'm not repressing my body. Mm. Well, sometimes you have maybe like, okay, a, a, a temptation and you have to, okay, and let's uh, go for a walk or something, of course. But I don't live in oppressing cessation. I don't think also my friends and people around me think I live in an oppressing way. Yeah. I'm joyful. I have a lot of peace. But that is because my, my, my vocation is focused on a personal love relation. And because Jesus Christ gave me a specific grace for living the celebratory life. Hmm. Hmm. So in some way you could say, I also have a sexual orientation. I don't live, I don't practice my, 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 my body doesn't practice the, how do you say, it? I'm trying to word, find the words in English. I know. Um, <laughs> but it's not, I'm not sexually active in the sense right. of I don't have sex. Right. But of course, I have an affective life. Yeah. I can receive and give love. Yeah. Uh, Even what you said about how sex being this thing of completely giving yourself to someone. Yes. And that, it, that is exactly and what And that's what I try to do with Jesus. With Jesus, yeah. But not only with Jesus. I live in a community in the sense of I live, I have brothers in Opus Day, And we also give each other unconditioned to each other. Hmm. I mean, for example, if, if I get an accident out there and it gives me uh, paralyzed. Hmm. You say paralyzed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like again, I will have brothers of Opus Day caring for me for the rest of their life, even if they have to offer their, their job for that. Huh. And because they love me. Yeah. And yeah. I love them and I will yeah. do the same for them. If, yeah. if a brother of mine in Opus Day needs my help and I have to offer my job, I have to move away, whatever, I will do it for him. Hmm. So the thing is, and, and, but not only in the all heroic way, I mean, we, we have fun together and we love each other and, there is a lot of affection, hmm. also human affection. I need a hug, man. I need a beer. I, I, hmm. I just need to have a good laugh. I need to pray together. Hmm. And I, and there is Christ really present also. Right. And then you have the Eucharist. The hmm. Eucharist and the, and the whole, the Catholic Holy Mass is we really are convinced that that is the body of Christ, not hmm. in a symbolic way. Huh. It is his body. Huh. That means that I'm eating, receiving every morning the body of Jesus Christ. Huh. So talking about bodily uh, unity. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that some people are listening. This guy is completely mad and crazy. Right. That sounds like cannibalism. Well, it sounds like that. It sounds, yeah, mad. I mean, a God giving his flesh to, 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 to these people. Yeah. And and these convictions that you have. And I will say, you're right. (laughs) You have to be crazy to believe this stuff. You have to Mm. be, if you really think about what Jesus Christ is saying to us. Also in the Bible. I mean, man, he said, and he said, and I think it was in the, the Gospel of John. 
Right. Those, if you don't eat my body and, and drink my blood, you cannot be my follower. And a lot of Jews said, whoa, whoa. That was the I'm moment that people like left. Yeah. I mean, he is right. saying crazy stuff, man. Right. And he said, I'm giving myself to you. I'm dying for you on a cross. Hmm. I mean, Christianity is for mad people. Hmm. But hmm. I'm so happy to be part of that mad people. Yeah. So let's go into that. So if, if, for our listeners who um, were either raised Christian and have become very disenchanted with it, or for those who are atheists and have no desire um, to look into Christianity, what would you say they're missing? What are they missing? Wow, man, that's a very big question. Um, you know, atheists, people who don't believe, they lack a sense of humor. <laughs> really, it's normally a very rationalistic, serious people who only look in one dimension. Yeah. So the whole thing is that Look, oh, there's another misconception, but not from Protestants to Catholics, but from uh, agnostic and atheists uh, to Christians. Yeah. And there's the whole thing that they still believe that believing is against science. Oh, mm. man, it can makes me so nervous that because it's so not true. It's so mm. false. The whole thing is that when you only look to the world through the eyes of science... Man, your world, every form of passion disappears. Right. Wonder the, and majesty. And, yeah. And yeah. also, I mean, if I will, if I will say to you, Scott, does your mom love you? What would you answer me? Yes. Yes. And can you give me scientific evidence of that? <laughs> right. I'd have anecdotes, I think. Yeah. Have, you can, you can prove it in a thousand ways and maybe not in a scientific way. Huh. Yeah. Or, and so the whole thing is that. The thing is, when, when, when you focus only on your scientific truth and you don't open yourself up for all kind of other truths, hmm. you are losing so much perspectives on life, so much dimensions on life. Hmm. You know, who's a really good Catholic writer about these topics is, uh, G.K. Chesterton. Maybe you've heard yeah. of Chesterton. He was Catholic? What? Yeah, Chesterton was Catholic and he has this, uh, uh, his book Orthodoxy. Huh. Man, that is so funny. He, he has the, the, the madman is a directionalist. And you have the artist, and he has this wonderful quote <laughs> who says, um, uh, uh, the madman is not mad because he lost his reason. He is mad because he lost everything except his reason. Mm. Wow. And I think that is, that is one of the keys. So that one just as a, so I would say you lose so much in life. And I will also recommend an atheist. I'm not, I'm not going to ask him to, to, to read Bibles and Christian stuff. No, read the little prince of Saint Asupari. What is it? The Little Prince. The book, small book of The Little Prince of the French writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Huh. Read that book. Wow, we'll have to link that. It's in. a book for little children. Yeah. Read that book. It's the best book after the Bible ever written, by the wow. way. Wow. A very strong opinion of Paul Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, definitely. After the Bible, The Little Prince of saint And why? What, what does it go into? It's, it, it just, it just, it, it explains reality. Hmm. hmm. It explains that the deepest, it's the, the best anthropological book I've found in my life. Hmm. And I still have a lot to read, but I have read quite some books for my age. Yeah. But this is amazing. This book is amazing. But anyway, so that is really something they're missing. Another thing they're missing, and that is something that you see a lot in, uh, I think, in this relativistic society we're living. Everybody right. says, you have your own truth. I have my own truth. Right. Well, first of all, that doesn't make sense. Huh. From, from a logical empirical scientific point of view if to use their concepts it doesn't make sense because the fact that you're saying already you have your truth i have my truth there exists no truth yeah then i will say already okay so 
it's a truth, then there is no truth. So there is already a truth. Yeah. So it's inconsistent in itself. Yeah. Actually, people don't believe it. People say, but they don't believe it. Truth doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and sometimes they say, uh, you can have your truth as long as you don't hurt other people. Or oh, something. man. Oh, man. That's another thing. Yeah. And I, of course, I don't want to hurt another people. And so I, I would say, yeah, okay. But that's that's not a moral principle. Because then you would ask yourself, how do you know what is hurting another person? How do you know what is hurting yourself? So many people, for example, regret after years decisions and things they have done in the past. Mm. The fact is also we receive an education as children. Our parents say, do this and do, don't do that. And it's because they don't want us to hurt ourselves and hurt other people. Mm. They're educating us. Mm. So the whole thing is that the whole moral principle of my morals is do whatever you want, but don't hurt other people. The whole thing is that people are actually hurting each other without knowing when. Right. So you still need a basis. And the whole thing is that a lot of people are lost in moral subjectivity. They have no objective foundations in their life. That doesn't mean that everything has to be objective, that truth means that you have no personal freedom. Hmm. Because by the way, Christianity leaves you a lot of freedom. Yeah. And Christianity in practice is super nuanced in morality. Christianity gives you a lot of moral indications and rules, but it's always, at least in the Catholic Church, always you have to look to the specific case to determine if a person acted good or bad. You cannot just say up beforehand already, hmm. uh, you cannot judge a person in his heart. Hmm. Hmm. Augustine himself says also that uh, uh, we cannot even judge ourselves. The only one who can judge us is God. Because he really knows what's happening inside here. Right, right. So we never have the, we never have. So what I'm saying is that there are clear moral principles in, in, in Christianity, at least in the Catholic Church. We have clear. But first of all, and that is another thing that they are missing, I think. The, the thing about morality. First of all, morality gives you a sense of objectivity. I'm doing this. I'm not sure which way, but I know that if I do this, I will do it in a good way. Hmm. Get the, the, the Ten Commandments, you mm. know, uh, even if they are negative. Uh, you know, at least, okay, I don't know what I have to do, but I know at least I don't have to murder. Right. And I know at least that going to bed with the wife of my brother is not a good thing. Yeah. And I know at least that I should obey my parents. Mm. It gives you, it gives you grounds to walk on. Mm. Mm. Because uh, the, the former Pope Benedict XVI, he talked about what you could tell the dictatorship of relativism. Hmm. relativism is obliging you and me also to say you cannot have an objective truth yeah. you can only have your subjective truth and in which way is a dictatorship it's a dictatorship because the only thing that is left for you to make decisions in your life is my personal impression hmm. how you feel about it or how you feel what you think yeah. while having a moral objective objectivity gives you also support of saying okay my feelings are going this way. My passion is the other way. My intellect is going up and my feet are going down. I don't know what to do. Hmm. But I know I can grab to this hmm. Hmm. and I will be safe. Yeah, and they've completely taken that and thrown it away. Yeah. So then everyone's just following their own whims. They're following their... And what you see now is also among Christians. I don't want to make only secular because, by the way, we are part of society. But yeah. still, the amount of burnouts, huh. anxiety... Uh, problems, mental health, mental health yeah. issues. Yeah, people want, who have uh, uh, um, um, how do you say that uh, f- freedom crisis. Yeah. For example, before you said, man, you make such a, a secular could, guy could think 
Paul, you were 16 making that decision. Right. Do you, do you, do you realize your risks that you're taking? And I would answer, do you realize the risk you can take and with not giving fully your life to one ideal in your life, mm. but just standing on the outside and seeing your wall, your life going on instead of saying, you know, I'm going to give my life for, for, a, for a love of something I really love. Yeah. And if I mess up, I've tried, man. And yeah. I've, I've done it for love. Interesting. So then they almost have the regret of never fully committing. No committing is, no committing is also using your freedom. Hmm. Hmm. No making, no decision make is also a decision you have made. Hmm. Hmm. Man, Sartre would say it in a very negative way. We're condemned to be free. I think freedom is precious. So I think this French philosopher was way too pessimistic, but I can understand some people see it like that hmm. because making no decision is a decision also. And to get through your life and realize what have I even lived for? Yeah. And then at the end of your life, you say, okay, I, I've, I've lived a little bit and I've done enough. Man, I want, I mean, I want to be radical and not hmm. radical in the bad, but radical in the sense of I'm going to go for it. Hmm. Cause it does make me wonder, is there anything that they can live for beyond themselves? Well, in practice, they can because you, you meet a lot of inspiring, wonderful people right. who, who are not religious or not religious in the Christian sense of the word. word. Huh. So definitely you have super inspiring people out there. Huh. But man, it's so tough hmm. because, uh, because your, your, I mean, also, yeah, your, your, your capacity for decision making, your strength, your support. Also think about maybe the most beautiful aspect of Christian, Christianity is redemption. And the thing, the, the, the thing of redemption is it lets you start again mm. completely and knowing that you're unconditionally loved. Yeah. You don't have to keep proving yourself and you can cure your, well, more your, your, your wounds are cured. Mm. You can start all over again. Mm. You don't have to, to, to the baggage of your past life. Yeah. You all know. your errors and stuff. You can right. leave them behind. Your track record doesn't follow you. You have a it, God who made you and who. Loves you unconditionally. Yes, yes. You start second. again, man. Yeah, start today. Two. You can start again. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm. man. That gives you so much perspective in life and power and yeah. strength. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> you listeners who, who are not Christians, I'd be curious what pushback you have for Paul. In what ways he may be missing it or so. Yeah, it would be good to hear your feedback. Paul, I would be, um, I would regret it if I didn't get some of these. Yeah. These questions that my Protestant friends have sent in, like, you got to ask him this. So let's just do a bit of like a, a speed round on this. But um, yeah, here we go. Here we go. First question. Why are you not an Orthodox Christian? <laughs> it has to do, of course. I mean, I was born in the Catholic tradition. I have a lot of admiration for the Orthodox churches. Uh, but at the same time, uh, from different perspectives, uh, first of all, Catholic Church means universal church. And with Orthodox churches, I still think more regional churches huh. uh, in the sense of the Russian, the Ethiopian, the Greece, the Syrian, etc. Right. Et right. uh, and the thing is that also we share a lot of tradition together, even the sacraments, we share them together. So I have a lot of estimation for my Orthodox brothers. But what I also see in Orthodox churches, at least in the more Eastern one, is the mixture with politics huh. uh, sometimes. And I think that... Uh, I know. I just love so much the Catholic Church. I love the Pope. I love He's his my own brothers entity. and sisters, and I love the fact that huh. that that yeah, even if we are sinners and we have committed a lot of errors, we stay together. And I don't know, man. Hmm. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah, the Pope is not linked to a country. 
No, no. The vacuum yes, is yes. its own. And I think it was really good in the, in the, in the, in, in the development of history that even the, I mean, you have the Vatican country as a country in the sense of, okay, it's a known place. But even that the Vatican lost all its territories all over the world, eh? in the parts of Italy. No, no, no. It's to, 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 um, I say that to, uh, man, the word doesn't come up. Anyway, to insist on the fact that it's a spiritual authority. Yeah. Give to Caesar what is for Caesar and give to God what is for God. Hmm. Okay. Then briefly on, on this, uh, that has not always been the case in the Catholic Church. I remember, I don't know which Pope it is, but he said you should have the cross in one hand and the sword in the other. Yeah. A very conquering force, the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. So why did that change? Um, was it just because they started losing? Like, I, I guess for me, what it seems like is like a, we were on top and so we justified all of our conquering and then we started to lose and so now we justify Giving it yeah, all away. Okay, that I, I that that I can understand it. If you're very critical, you you can see it like that, and this I can understand it. Look, the, it has to do also. Think oof, this is a very big questions. Okay, so <laughs> sorry if my answer are a little simplistic. Totally but I'm just looking to time. Yeah, the the concept of tradition. So this is crucial in Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, we we <clears throat> you have two two foundations for truth. Now let's say you have the revelation of Christ. That is the foundation of truth. Where does God, God reveals himself to the world? Hmm. How does he do that? Through his church. Hmm. What are the, the two pillars of the church to discover the revelation of Christ? Hmm. What is revealing to us? This Holy Scripture and this tradition. Hmm. Hmm. Tradition is a vivid force. It's not something static. We still believe the same as 2,000 years before. Yes, but it's not like it's something static, something passive. You develop, you grow. Right, it fine-tunes. It fine-tunes. I mean, Paul wrote a letter to a slave saying to be obedient to his master. Hmm. And there will be no Christian who would say nowadays, oh, that means that we have to make slaves again. Right, right. Because you look at it in the historical context. Also because as a church, I mean, we are also human beings. And hmm. we need time to understand and to adopt and integrate all the truths that the Holy Spirit are revealing to us. Hmm. And I think an Protestant will agree with me, right, I hope, right. I think. I right. mean, so in the Catholic Church also, I mean, th- some things you develop into history, you start to discover, and you live in a time, a specific time, <clears throat> and some things are not good. I mean, yeah, it's not. I'm not trying to justify everything, but at the same time, seeing that a Catholic Pope made some human errors in the past, yeah. It's not like, oh, you see, eh? so the whole Catholic Church is a hoax. Right, right. But but you distinguish between what is really for always, what is yeah. spiritual, what is dogmatic, yeah, yeah, what is eternal truth, and what could change. But but from the way that I see it, because I, I do hear you, and I and remember you, you did some church history lectures, and what I loved seeing is how the church time and time again had to keep coming back to like, okay, what is the Trinity yeah. and how does this work? And and so that was like matters of theology. But what's frustrating for me to see is that the Catholic Church got linked to power. And I think that's what's frustrating. And I have this I have this background belief that that when you have that kind of absolute power that the Catholic Church wielded, that's when it, then that's when you get more corruption. No, yeah, and I agree because power is something very dangerous. But let me ask a critical question back. I mean, look to the power that Protestants have in American history, man. Hmm. 
Christian Zionism looked at opinions about Israel to get a really conflictive opinion. Eh? Uh, I mean, right, I know it's right. an odd issue for some Christians. Man, that is politics and religious just in one. And yeah. so many, so many American Christians giving a lot of money for Israel to become independent. And I would say, man, is that really, is that really spiritual? And is that really the new Israel and stuff? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that I'm not try, just trying, what I'm trying to say is that Power is complex, man. Mm. It's boof. Especially people, the higher you get, mm. the, because power, I mean, boof, it really gets you. But so, okay, so then explain the thinking around the Pope, because it seems like, what's this the idea of the infallibility? Yeah, that's a very good question to ask. So first of, of all, the authority of the Pope is not like he can, if he says something, I want all Catholics to wear blue clothes. And... Or I want all Catholics to, to, uh, be, um, supportive of this political kind of parties. <clears throat> and then, okay, now everybody, no, if he says it, I will say, sorry, Pope, it's not, it's not your, hmm. uh, it's not, uh, your, how do you say that? Uh, you, jurisdiction you have, or, your, yeah, it's not your jurisdiction to say me what clothes I have to wear right, or right. my political party view or whatever. Right. Okay. You go about guarding. Christ's revelation inside a church. Okay, yeah. It's a spiritual and moral and doctrinal level. Hmm. And not even on every aspect. Okay? So the whole thing is that when we talk about the Pope infability, it means that the Pope, from his cathedra, from his chair as a Pope, he can do, in communion with the, the bishops, he can pronounce and say, this is something that all Catholics have to believe. Hmm. And then there are what we call dogmas. Right. How many dogmas have there been in the last five centuries? Three. Hmm. Three dogmas. Hmm. Immaculate conception of Mary, her assumption to heaven, and the, the, the infability of the Pope within what I explained just now. And hmm. in, 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 there, there hasn't been any other dogma, dogma pronunciations hmm. so in when the Pope, last century. So when Pope Francis makes some sort of statement about homosexuality or something that's just him no no but but then the whole thing and that is very interesting that's very interesting because the thing is that people criticize the pope for not pronouncing some things but they don't realize that the pope and the catholic church doesn't have the power to say such a things huh. why because sacrament of marriage has been from the beginning catholic church a dogma hmm. that means that no one whoever afterwards can change the sacrament of marriage, meaning that a man and a woman, uh, they they come together in in, in marriage uh, to, to to form a family. Right, right. So if a pope would say, <clears throat> I pronounce that now a man and another man can have the sacrament of marriage in the same way as a man and a woman, the thing is, it couldn't be Catholic. Right. So the, po- the pope hasn't, any power to do that. But but then does he make kind of comments? Does he make, these are some of his thoughts? One of the things is that, if especially this Pope is super pastoral. He goes out, he wants to to go to the people. And the, I mean, one thing is that, is that some things you believe them to be truth. And another way is that we are all disciples of spreading God's mercy. Hmm. And mercy and truth always have to go together. Hmm. And that is something that the Pope is focusing on. If you're a sinner, Scott, and you are, and I am also a sinner, if I sin, okay, you can say to me, you've sinned. You are a stupid piece of shit. Well, the truth is I've sinned, but you can also say, man, do you realize that God always can forgive you if you ask for that forgiveness? Huh. 
and that you can fully joyous grace again. Hmm. You know, it's more about that. It's more about not judging the intentions of a person. The, the Catholic Church, for example, is not judging homosexuals and their intentions. Huh. They're not saying that because you're homosexual, you're a bad person. Right. Never, ever have the Catholic Church said that. But you cannot have the sacrament of marriage. No. Right. Okay, because yeah. Jesus Christ himself said that. So the Catholic Church has no has no uh, jurisdiction to say that. So the whole thing is that... Well, they'd have to change the Bible. Yeah, so right. the whole thing is... And that is what I found something funny and not very consequent in the reasoning. That is the critic on the Pope, on the church and Pope, is, yeah, the Pope, he can say whatever he wants and he has too much power. And then I say... And then comes the thing, for example, of homosexual marriage. But why is it a hot topic and way more complex, etc. Right, but right. I'm going very fast. Right. And I said, why doesn't the church change it? And I said, well, the whole thing is the Pope has no any power to change that. Yeah, yeah. And the same with changing the sacrament of baptism, of changing all the other sacraments. Yeah. The Pope cannot just say, well, the Eucharist, from now on, it's only symbolic. Hmm. The, church, the Pope has no any power to say that. Hmm. That's mm. all. Or, or Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. Right, right. He cannot say that. Yeah. The Pope cannot. If the Pope says that, I say, sorry, Pope, you're wrong. And I'm completely, fully Catholic when I say that to the Pope. Huh. What would happen if that would happen? Well, that would be, that would be a huge crisis. But like, would the, is there, so is there checks and balances with the Pope, the bishops? Would oh, man, for sure. Take I mean, him out. I don't really the, know. Yeah, there are, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, the Pope would never just make a decision on his own. Right, he has right, a lot right. of bishops and, right. and theologians and people around him and help right. him. It's not like the Pope is there on his own just with a magic stick and just doing whatever he wants. Yeah. That's complete nonsense. But if the Pope, if a Pope would say, pronounce something against a dogma of the Catholic Church, the one who's wrong is the Pope, not the right, Catholic Church. Right, right, right. So, but miraculously, it never happened in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and yeah, anyway. Okay, a couple more. Yeah. Tell me about saints, praying to saints. What is that all about? Praying to Mary. Well, yeah. We did this a little bit in the beginning, but yeah. yeah. that's a very good one. Okay, so about saints. I mean, Mary is considered the highest of saints, okay? okay. And, but she also has a privilege. And then she is the mother of God, uh, not only the mother of Jesus, but, but also she get this grace of being the, the, the mother of God and mother of all faithful on earth. Okay. Mm. Uh, so first about all the saints. Saints are brothers and sisters who reach heaven. And mm. you're asking them for help. You're saying, Hey, you're really close to Jesus. You're in heaven, man. Mm. And, and I'm still pilgrim walking on this earthly path. Mm. And, uh, of course I can pray directly to, to God. I do that all the time. All Catholics pray to Jesus directly. Huh. But how beautiful is it? We don't only pray directly to him. We also pray together with all our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we ask a brother or sister, hey, can you also ask to Jesus, please, Jesus, help me? Huh. Because you're really close to him. You're already right. in heaven. Huh. So it's it's being a family. It's being super... I feel super united with all my brothers and sisters in heaven, in purgatory, and here on earth. I feel connected to them. Huh. I'm family. We are family. It's so beautiful. And there's and there's communication. There is communication. Yeah. Maybe that's the difference between... The, for the Protestants, it's like death is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, I had a podcast about this, uh, about mourning uh, and praying to, to the death. And I said, I pray, an, an uncle of mine prayed, uh, died a, one and a half year ago. He was a priest and I had a very close relation huh. with him. And I said, well, sometimes I just, for example, he hated the gray, the Dutch gray sky, man. It, it really depressed him. Huh. So now when you have a gray sky, then I, I, I always look at it and say, man, you are, 
you are enjoying the eternal sun right now eh? and I'm here still with this guy please help me help me and I ask him yeah I feel that connection completely no actually there is something quite beautiful about that Um, but then that makes it a question of purgatory. So how, how does that fit in and what's the biblical basis? Yeah. For so purgatory? very shortly, because there are some misconceptions about that. Yeah. First of all, it is true that the, the church, it was until the 12th century or 13th century that in a council, they definitely pronounced about purgatory. Huh. But purgatory is something that the Jewish Orthodox also believe. Huh. And you can find it in the book of the Maccabees, who is not recognized in the Hebrew translation of the Bible, the one who used the Protestants. But the Catholic used that. It's the Greek translation of the Bible, the mm. book of Maccabees. Mm. So the Maccabees talk about praying for the death. Eh? They talk about making offers for the death mm-hmm. so that they can reach heaven. Right. So what I want to say is it's not a medieval invention. Mm. Second, the church fathers believed in purgatory. And there are already references to purgatory in the 3rd and 4th century. Mm. Augustine himself believed in purgatory. He has references to purgatory. He believes in that. And of course, uh, but it, it would be maybe for another podcast to go a bit deeper. Right, but right. for example, you also have some references to Christ, which in a theological way, you can also interpret it. Like, for example, the thing is that people who will be saved, I think it's in the Corinthians, who mm-hmm. will be saved, but sounds like through the fire. Mm. And it's the fire that purifies uh, and it leaves only that what is valuable behind. Mm. There are some more things. Uh, I mean, there is also a theological reasoning about the necessity even of purgatory to explain God's mercy. Uh, but mm. maybe because of time, there were some other things. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. maybe what I want to say yeah. for now. Okay, so just in a real basic form, it's uh, a place for certain humans who believed in God but have things to work out before the, they can go to heaven. The whole thing is that go directly to heaven because you're com- you're completely united to Christ. It's a very big thing. It's reachable for us all, but it's a very big thing. That's for only for saints. Yeah, but that doesn't mean only the saints who are declared saints in St. Peter. There are only very few. There are a lot of saints who go to heaven. Huh. People who lived in a holy and beautiful way. Right. But the thing is, and people who have been sinners, big sinners before. Eh? So Augustine has been a big sinner. You can right. read it in the Confessions, and he's a saint in the Catholic Church. Huh? Mm. And uh, and also the, 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 the thief who died next to Christ, mm. because Christ promised him he will be in heaven right. that same day. So who is the Catholic Church? No, no, that man is a saint. Huh. So just to have not like a too far away picture of saints. But the thing is that a lot of people, so if you go to purgatory, you are saved. You cannot go to hell anymore. You will go to heaven. Okay. But on earth, you haven't purified enough huh. in order to go and be face to face with, with God. Huh. So your longing, your freedom, uh, your soul, the purification of your soul is not perfect, complete enough. Hmm. You need more purification. Uh, you need to purify your freedom, your decision, your heart, so that you can fully enjoy heaven. Your soul's not ready for heaven or something. It's not ready yet to fully enjoy heaven and the presence of God. And the presence of God is a burning fire, and you can huh. find it in the Old and the New Testament. Huh, huh. A fire who will burn everything. And if a soul's not if pure... If it's not pure, it needs to be it, pure. It won't last. But it's not like... The whole thing is, it all has to do with the fact that if you believe in human freedom, then freedom has to have consequences. Hmm. Because if you would say like, okay, you Hmm. know, uh, this guy just, he believed just enough and the other one believed in a wonderful way and it's so much stuff, but then it doesn't matter, you know, because you all go to heaven Hmm. and uh, etc. Now, the whole thing is that, that if you believe in freedom, purgatory is 
is is a quite logical consequence. Mm. Uh, because what you're trying to do is that gift of God, that is human freedom, that is opening your heart to God and fully opening it to Him. It's something that is not only a grace, it's something that you have to correspond, you have to answer to that. God wants you to work together with you in the project of your own life. Right. It has to do with also that if you believe that Christian life is a loving relationship with the two persons, huh. Christ and you, that means that in some way that relation also has to be horizontal. If I don't open my heart for Christ, he can send me as much love as he wants, but it won't enter in my heart. Right, right, right. right. And God don't want to force you to open your heart for him. If I can do Hmm. just a very ecumenical suggestion, the book, The Great Divorce of Suez Lewis, because Suez Lewis believed in purgatory. And he he describes this in in a kind of very symbolic, fascinating story about heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's called The Great Divorce. Right, and the things that were still needing to be worked through. Yeah. Okay. So how, so how does salvation work? Okay. Salvation works. I think the best way of, and it's something I'm discovering right now myself. The best way of understanding salvation is through the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude in the different versions is the poor of spirit. The poor of spirit, they will reach kingdom of, uh, of the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. The poor of spirit, what means pure, being poor of spirit, at least in the Catholic tradition, how we interpret that, it's humble. It's realizing I am myself, I cannot do anything. Hmm. I'm completely dependent on God's grace. Hmm. That is the first realization. The first realization of a human being should be God, without God and his mercy, I cannot just, I, I, I cannot, I cannot do anything. Hmm. And, and that is something beautiful I learned in Catholic religion on school is that we had in the book this thing that said, what is the difference between the Christian faith and other faiths? And maybe it's simplistic to other faiths. I don't care, but I loved it. Hmm. It says, it said, in other, in other religions is human being who goes in search of God. And in Christian faith, it's God who goes in search of human being. Huh. Huh. It's he who is seeking us. Huh. He is the one who's knocking on our door, but also he's the one who says, you can only open it from the inside. I'm not going to force you to love me. So the initiative comes from God. God is waiting for us as the father of the prodigal son. Mm. He is waiting for us. Mm. But if we don't want to receive his mercy, if we don't want to open up, if we if we don't want to be forgiven, mm. we cannot have any relation with God. If you ask me, Paul, what is hell? I say hell is for those who don't who reject forgiveness and mercy of God. Those who say, eh, I don't want to love, I, I don't want to accept your mercy. Mm. It's those who, who says, I cannot hide, I cannot be in God's presence. I hate it. Mm. I don't want to have anything to do with this, with this confrontation. Mm. Or I don't need it. I don't need it. Self-sufficiency. Right. Uh, pride. It's right. so dangerous. And God, what says? I don't want to oblige you. If you want to go for my presence, mm. go I'm away. I'm not going to force you. I'm yeah. not going to force you. Yeah. So it has to do a lot with your freedom. Mm. Yeah. Mm. About Mary, I think, what makes Mary beautiful in the, in the, in the, first of all, people say Mary doesn't appear in the Bible. When they say that, Protestants talk about stereotypes a lot. They talk a lot about the New Testament, mm. but they forget to analyze the Old Testament, mm. to analyze Eve, Ruth, Esther. Mm. You don't have Judith in the, uh, but you have Esther, you have Ruth, mm. uh, you have, uh, you have Eve, you have Batseba, the mother of David, mm. a lot of female figures. And if we see, and we see, for example, the sacrifice of, of Isaac, we see um, a prophecy of Christ. We see that in Moses, eh, a prophecy of Christ, when he, for example, 
uh, with the snakes looking to uh, one evil. Right, right, right. But why don't we see prophecies in the woman leading to Virgin Mary? And there is actually a beautiful book about that. Interesting. And it's called uh, Mary and the Jewish Roots. Uh, oh, man. Oh, shit. I forgot the name. Hmm. But I know the, the name of the guy. It's Brad Pitter. Brad Pitter. Sounds like Brad Pitt. Yeah, it sounds like Brad Pitt, but it's not a Brad <laughs> Well, anyway, he, he ex- explains this beautifully. Also, Scott Hahn has a beautiful book about about Mary also from a biblical point of view. Hmm. But she also in the New Testament. But just what I want to say is that, that Catholics really have a biblical theological tradition of explaining Mary. Also the early church fathers, because hmm. the really early, the first prayers to Mary are from the second century, hmm. from an archaeological point of view. It's not like Mary is something. No, no. Second century, you already have clear references to prayers to Mary as the mother of God, for example. Huh. Huh. But also, she completes the family like being the mother. Huh. And the beautiful thing is what we believe in, in the Catholic Church, just to finish about Mary, because I could talk hours about her, yeah. but I realized uh, because of time, is some people will say, but don't you have enough with Christ? Huh. Is Christ not enough for you? Yeah. And I will say, now, the thing is that Christ is enough, but I'm not enough. Huh. I need sometimes my mother to go to Christ. Hmm. And the thing is that Mary, her mission is to bring all her children to Jesus. You could summarize the Catholic tradition about Mary in one evangelical sentence, and it is, do what he will say to you. And I'm talking about the wedding in Cana. Uh, huh. when, when, when Jesus is saying, but woman, it's not my hour yet. Huh. And what says Mary to the servants? Do whatever he says to you. That's that's a summary eh, of Mary in the Catholic tradition. She will always, always, always lead you mm. to Christ. Mm. It's not like if I pray to Mary, I will stay in a corner and Jesus say, come on, I'm here, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> Talk to me. Mary will always, always, always lead you to Jesus Christ. And that is not only a theological experience. It's an experience of putting it into practice. When yeah. you experience it really... When you pray the rosary and the stuff, and I can imagine it's really hard for a Protestant, so I'm not saying pray the rosary. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. to give you an example, it's something you experience. Huh. Man, I could talk hours about all this stuff. Yeah, 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 I can tell. <laughs> it's here in the end. Um, well, Paul, I do think we've got plenty of things that we could totally go back into. And one of the things that I did with Casey, my brother, actually would be fun to talk about his episodes too, but um, I put out these original episodes and then people started having feedback. And so... <laughs> We'll see. Maybe we'll have a chance to kind of go into some more in-depth things, but this was fascinating. Yeah, I loved it. And I just want to ask already for forgiveness to my secular, atheistic brothers and sisters and also the Protestants who think that I have been a little bit simplistic maybe in some (laughs) analysis I have done. (laughs) And I'm very glad to have deeper conversations with people uh, if if they're open to it. Yeah, and that's the idea of this podcast is we, we just start the conversations and allow someone to tell their story, but then we want the community to start to dialogue with us. And, and trigger, trigger critical thinking, yeah. reflection. I yeah. would love that. We want to hear your feedback. So, Paul, thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation. For all you man. out there, you've been listening to Between Two Worlds, a podcast about belief, unbelief, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. Some words. Uh, so, Scott, can you pronounce my last name? 
I was just thinking about that. It's like, <laughs> do, I, I, <laughs> do I know? Because you don't dare to pronounce it in a Dutch way. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Um, G-R-A-A-S. Gras. Uh, the Dutch way. <laughs> we, are more, we are more rude. Wait, ca- cas, cas. We are more rude. Gras. 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 Yes. It's good to say it because then if Pal- English speaker think that my last name is something like marijuana, so it's good to know it's... <laughs> Paul Grass. Paul Grass. Here with Paul Grass. Paul Gras. Gras. Gras.